a film that not even its creators, Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry, were certain would work, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind premiered in theaters in March 2004. With a slow start at the box office, this romantic sci-fi drama eventually made a profit, becoming the most profitable film of Kaufman's career to date and earning him his sole Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. However, this film's box office numbers pale in comparison to its audience reception as it quickly captured the hearts of everyday filmgoers and critics alike, posting a 92 and 94% score on Rotten Tomatoes critics and audience metrics respectively. The New York Times lists this as one of its top 25 films of the 21st century so far. The Hollywood Reporter places it as one of Hollywood's 100 favorite films. The BBC ranks it as one of the 100 greatest American films. And it's also in the top 100 highest rated films on IMDb to this day. To say this film is beloved is an understatement, although everyone seems to have a different take on it. It's time to scan our brains to see what thoughts and feelings are rattling around in there in regards to this film. I'm your host, Ricardo Boyd Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow, And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth, today we are joined by a special guest. Would you like to do the honors of introducing them? Yeah, uh, my good buddy is here uh, with us today, Matthew Dwyer. Say hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, <laughs> Matt. We're so Matt. happy to have you. Happy to be here, man. Uh, Matt. Matt's kind of, uh, I would say, an all-around, uh, he knows he knows art, man. This guy knows mm-hmm. art. He knows content. And uh, uh, he's. Uh, I respect his critical eye, and I thought he would be a great person to invite on to the podcast today. Uh, and you've, you've actually reviewed movies before, like, for real, right? Yes. Um, for a two-year stint 500 years ago, I uh, wrote on behalf of the Milwaukee Film Festival uh, for a publication called Third Coast Digest, which I think has been absorbed by Urban Milwaukee. But um, yeah, got a little experience. I got it right. I yeah, it you right. did. Nice. I did get it right. <laughs> I said it last week. I was like, I'm pretty sure it was for the Milwaukee Film Festival. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud. But was so glad to have you here today, man. Yes. Uh, it means a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to get into your brain about this movie because it's not a... Uh, it's not an easy one. I no, think. no. And, and, and so for our audience at home, uh, Matt selected this film for us this week. Uh, and uh, personally, uh, just to give you some background, I, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love this movie. But I wanted to hear why you chose it for us today. I think that this is a movie that stuck in my craw from the first time I ever saw it. Uh, Milwaukee has a pretty vibrant um, – a theater community uh, uh, as far as film goes, independent theaters and whatnot. And um, it's one of the few movies I've seen in my life where I walked out of the theater and was just completely dumbstruck. Um, I was obsessed with it from the opening uh, sort of fade in of the focus features. Like it had me from the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, visually is certainly one of the most stunning uh, films I've ever seen. Uh, I love to see an artistic reach uh, from a, from an actor like Jim Carrey. And um, yeah, it's just an all around kind of a standalone, really remarkable film from start to finish. Uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. agree. And, and in, in my intro, I did mention that everybody seems to come away with this movie a little bit differently, feeling differently. I know like in my circle of friends and family that have all seen this movie, some of them come away feeling very cynical. And some of them come away feeling very optimistic. And mm-hmm. it's interesting that different people can have such different reads on one piece of uh, art. 
you know, especially a film. Usually films, a lot of people come, you know, when a film ends, you usually, you know, it's a happy ending, you know, it's a sad ending. And this one, it all depends on the person. Sure. I, th- I think universally, I think maybe, you know, love wins in the end, but um, because two of those characters uh, showed some vulnerability, you know, um, so happy ending, question mark. You know, exactly. And I'll, I'll get in some interesting film history about this film a little bit later that may rock your world a little bit. If that's the, awesome. how you're kind of coming away with it. For sure. Um, Ricky, I, just a, a quick off of what you just said. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think it really just depends on what life experiences you've had. That's what you know? I'm saying. And, yeah. And, and like like I, I, this movie hit me way different. I, I watched it. I watched it probably like early twenties was the last time I'd seen it. And at 33, it's like watching a different movie. It's like experiencing a different film. Uh, I, I was one of those people that left cynical the first time I watched it. And mm-hmm. this time I, I don't think I did. Leave mm-hmm. cynical. Yeah. I've always had a very optimistic look on this film, but some people say I'm too much of a, like I'm too naive sometimes. So like everybody's like, you just don't get it. It's like, I think I get it. <laughs> I now in my thirties, um, I feel, I mean, my relationship with this movie has changed. I've seen it so many times. I watch it a lot. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I've always felt optimistic at the end, but we'll get into exactly our interpretations in a little bit. Let's first talk about how it came to be. So the development process that kind of birthed this film into existence. Um, this film was directed by Michelle Gondry. Michelle Gondry also directed Human Nature, be Kind Rewind, Green Hornet, The We and the I, Mood Indigo, and uh, Jim Carrey's show, Kidding, uh, where he plays a, a, a child star that's grown up and it's kind of like struggling uh, with his uh, his former fame. So that's Michelle Gondry. He directed this, but he also co-wrote it with Charlie Kaufman, uh, who also wrote Being John Malkovich, Human Nature, Adaptation, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Synecdoche, New York, Anomalisa, and I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, and again, he's been nominated for four Oscars, uh, winning for Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Uh, this film was also co-written by Michelle Gondry and Pierre Bysmith, who uh, also wrote a documentary called Where is Rocky Two that he wrote and directed. I've had a lot of trouble finding exactly what that documentary is about. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, he's a French artist, so it's hard to find some of that stuff. Um, but... What's interesting about this film is it started off as a uh, – its original conception came in 1998 during a conversation between Michel Gondry and Pierre Bysmith. Uh, Bysmith had a friend who was going through a really bad breakup and he asked her if she could, would she erase the person from her memory? And she said yes, she would. Um, and so Bysmith was talking about this with Gondry and he was a conceptual artist. Uh, French conceptual artist. So he planned to do a social art experiment where he would send cards to people saying that someone in their lives had erased them from their memory. Uh, and uh, which I think is a little messed up. <laughs> a little messed up. Uh, instead, Gondry convinced him to develop it into uh, the basis of this story instead. And uh, Bysmith never actually ended up doing the social experiment. Uh, then they uh, brought Kaufman on to develop it into a short pitch. Uh, there was a bidding war, and it ended up selling for a low seven figures, which is pretty good. Um, and uh, Kaufman himself had very little faith in this movie. He, he just didn't think the concept was very marketable. 
So he ended up putting it kind of on the back burner, uh, instead opting to write adaptation confessions of a dangerous mind and human nature instead. <laughs> uh, human nature ending up being uh, Michelle Gondry's directorial debut. Uh, but during the time of developing this script, Memento, Chris no- Christopher Nolan's Memento came out. Uh, Memento came out and uh, further making Kaufman a little bit hesitant because he's like, oh, there are so many themes with memory that kind of align here. And so he was even a little bit more hesitant. But finally, he finished it uh, and had a first draft to go into production. Uh, and uh, originally, the title was 18 words long. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, Kaufman's kind of a troll in that he said he wanted a title that couldn't possibly fit on a marquee is what he said. Um, One that you couldn't remember. Yeah. Uh, And eventually he ended up settling on eternal sunshine of spotless mind, which of course is a, an allusion to the Alexander Pope uh, poem, uh, Eloisa and Abelard uh, that is actually referenced in the film itself. And he actually also references in being John Malkovich. So he must really like this one. (laughs) Um, We'll get into some of the like actual production uh, kind of things that were going on that made this film maybe a little bit more difficult. Uh, but as far as like how this film kind of came into being, it had a weird winding road. Um, there was definitely a lack of faith in the idea, weirdly enough. Uh, so before we get started, let's, let's do our s- summary. So to remind everybody at home uh, who may have not seen this movie in a while or uh, haven't watched it at all, I don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't watched it, but just in case, uh, what this film is about, its plot. Uh, Seth, I wrote down the IMDb and the Rotten Tomatoes one. Yeah, you have to know, Matt, we kind of like to judge uh, the summaries by these websites <laughs> because sometimes they're just garbage. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 we have this it's part of it. So we'll, we'll play a little game here where see if you guys can guess which is which. Okay. <laughs> Now, Seth kind of has the upper hand because he's heard a bunch of these now, so you might have a little bit of an insight into how each site kind of writes them. <laughs> uh, but we'll let Matt guess first, and then Seth, I'll let you guess after. So here are, the, here are the two summaries. The first one. After a painful breakup, Clementine undergoes a procedure to erase the memories of her former boyfriend, Joel, from her mind. When Joel discovers that Clementine is going to extremes to forget their relationship, he undergoes the same procedure and slowly begins to forget the woman that he loved. The visually arresting film explores the intricacies of relationships and the pain of loss. That's the first one. The second one. When their relationship turns sour, a couple undergoes a medical procedure to have each of the other erased from their memories. All right, so Matt, which is IMDb and which is Rotten Tomatoes? The first is IMDb, the second is Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Seth, what do you think? I, I agree with, with that assessment. You think the long, you guys both think the long one is IMDb and the short one is Rotten Tomatoes? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're wrong, both of you. <laughs> 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 hey, I gotta, I'm a Metacritic guy, so I'm gonna. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> IMDb went really sparse this time, uh, and uh, Rotten Tomatoes went a little bit lengthy. Interesting. Into some of our past, it's some. It's kind of in the opposite at times. Yeah, mm. true. Uh, but so yeah, basically, a couple breaks up, and they both erase each other from their memories out of grief and pain and loss. So, guys, it's time. To ask the question. Seth, would you do the honors of asking our guest the question? I will. Matt, I gotta know. What's it about? I was afraid you were gonna ask me that. 
Uh. <laughs> Man, how, how, how could you possibly know that that was coming? <laughs> well, um, what is this movie about? I think that this movie uh, touches on some uh, pretty big themes, uh, themes of regret, themes of the nature of attraction, uh, themes of conscious versus subconscious, um, uh, Memories, obviously, figure uh, lucid dreaming uh, goes on in there. So I think that more than anything, the film asks an overarching question. Uh, the overarching question being that, um, you know, if you if you have a life experience that ends poorly or maybe not how you planned or expected, if the technology existed, would you have that entire experience erased completely from your memory? Like they say in the film, as in a dream upon waking, like nothing ever happened. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, in, in looking at it like that, I, for me, it's, it's all about it, trying to put this in the right words. Cause for this, for me, this obviously, yeah, you're right. This film has so much going on. And as far as like thematically, like things that are, it's touching on, and I guess for me, it all comes down to that question that kind of like comes off of you. Like what it's like maybe like underneath yours a little bit is life and living worth the pain, right? Like the experiences that we have and the risks that we take, the loves that we have, the people we, we live with and exist with is going through all that and the grief of loss of that stuff. Is it worth it? Would and would you just get rid of it if you could, and have a life that's empty? You know the thing that's interesting to me about this movie is the people that have these this this procedure done aren't happier afterwards. Not really. You know, like Clementine's obviously having some kind of stuff going on with her. She's a little bit scattered, and uh, you know, to spoiler alert for everybody, that's what we do on the show. We just go right into it. Mary does not seem very happy where she's at. Um, and Joel, it does after he has his done, he doesn't seem happy. They don't seem happy. They and seem they empty. The same, they all make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and so for me, it's, is, and we even see like other people in that office. Uh, some, it looks like someone maybe is, is lot has lost a pet and is trying to erase the memory of this pet. And it's like, yeah, like the grief and the loss is hard for sure. But is it? You're saying that your time with that person, that thing, wasn't worth the love that you had, wasn't worth the pain that it's causing now. I, but think I think that's I think that's what falls under the theme of the nature of attraction because mm -hmm. without having those learned experiences deleted from their memory does not change their tendencies, you know. And so you'll see, mm -hmm. you know, there are very many uh, little subtle visual clues throughout the movie, uh, which we'll probably get into, but. Um, you know, uh, the procedure's been done, yet Joel still finds his way out to Montauk Beach and is attracted to the same orange sweatshirt that he's attracted to when it's revealed at the end what she looked like the first day that they got together. You know, mm -hmm. the, the nature of attraction is not fundamentally changed by by erasing the data that, that was the result of that attraction. Exactly, exactly. Seth, where are you feeling on this film? What are you feeling? Uh, I mean, I agree with you guys, but you know me, I like to like, like, like yeah. get into the like major macro uh, themes. And uh, I, I think for me, this movie is about 
um, the acceptance of what makes uh, makes love real, and um, whether it, and, and whether it's whether or not you can accept the truth about love, mm-hmm. um, is what makes love real. I guess mm-hmm. uh, the the last song in the like as it's playing uh, or the in the credits is everybody's got to learn sometime, mm-hmm. and I just think it's really fitting. Uh, song choice because it's like you got to learn what love is sometime Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and it's way not what you think it's gonna be you know oh my god i I, and there's such a great line in this movie that clementine says where she's like i'm not a concept you know i am a i'm very messed up like if you're looking for me to complete you like don't put your the burden of your happiness on me because i can't give it to you and Joel hears her say that, but I don't. Or he she, he hears her say that, but I don't think he's listening to when she says that because it feels like it's hard. He, yeah, it's hard. That's a thing that it's not easy to like not do if you're mm-hmm. doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you've created this idea of somebody and you're that's what you're in love with, it's really hard for you gonna get to be like to get around that that concept of that person. Even when they say it, it doesn't mean you're not not doing it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? She actually uh, she. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're, you're, you're good. Yeah, she actually uses that line twice in the movie. Uh, the mm-hmm. one in, in the degrading memory in the bookstore uh, when, and, you know, he acknowledges, says, I still remember that speech so well. And then she says it later as they're standing in the apartment with all of the stuff from Lacuna. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, back to the nature of their attraction. That's still the point of view that she's coming from, even though they've already been through this before. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, something I, this was in my research. I'm a researcher, Matt. So I like to like, look, really look, dig into stuff. And uh, so does it, do either of you guys know what look, a lacuna is? Yeah. So lacuna is like a blank space in, in like a medical scan. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that if you, if, if that is, um, and I can't remember what the Latin is, but um, I think it means like a void. And mm-hmm. um, so if you are doing, for example, a brain scan and you see like that void, like I could be, cancer it could be nothing it could be a blip but yes it just means like a void or or an empty space yeah uh so yeah and and different so it kind of has different translations and some and different uses in different types of fields but yeah in medic medicine it's it's a, a a depression in the brain that is then filled in by like blood or fluid um that is like kind of like covered over but it is a gap that kind of a depression that then gets filled in uh in like uh geography and in topography it's a it, again, is a an empty space, a, a depression that has been filled in by water uh, over time. Uh, in uh, like archaeology, it's a missing parts of text. So, like if you find like a, a scroll or something, and there are like big chunks missing, it's those missing parts that then have to be filled in later. Right, uh, so and, like, and then in, in the film, you see that reference just in different ways. So there's mm-hmm. at one point, you know, in the beginning when when Joel realizes that there are Page is torn out Page of his book. Me. There's a blank in the middle of that. And he even says mm-hmm. to Clementine, I believe on the train, he says, you should look at my journal sometime. It's just blank. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, it's so interesting. Um, uh, so, S- Seth, oh, you said something about the what it, what, learning what the truth about love. What For you, what is that truth? Well, 
I, so we, I think, I, well, we can talk about this, but we also need to talk about attraction because uh-huh. I think it, it's, it's, it's all connected. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you can't help what you're attracted to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You just are, but it's our experiences that, that teach us lessons about what we're attracted to. Right. Mm-hmm. And like we're, we see that most with Mary in this movie. You know? Yeah. Um, she's clearly got some daddy issues going on. Like there's, there's something there. She's attracted to, uh, intelligence. She's attracted to someone who is called to a higher purpose. Um, and she keeps falling for this, this doctor, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, but I, I mean, if she had, if she had kept the memory, she would have learned from her mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's what molds our attraction, right. Is like the, is, is succumbing is falling for the attraction and then learning from that experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) I, uh, there's, there's a whole nother podcast about the corruption of Western medicine that we could talk, we could do. <laughs> That's like really reflecting in this movie. Uh, I, I thought it was really, I, I thought some of that stuff was really cool. Like, like just the fact that because they no, nobody's ever going to remember what they're doing, they can just do whatever they want. Like all the way, the, the behavior of the doctors. Oh yeah, how they're like right. dancing on top of him during the procedure. Yeah, they're having yeah. sex in his house next to him, stealing his alcohol, like yeah. like stealing their panties. Yeah. Freaking freaking Elijah Wood. <laughs> and then I mean, just how Howard, how Howard just like totally was for this procedure for Mary, you know, because it mm-hmm. would just and then and then she still works for him. That's what like, I was just gonna say. Like like how how does he get around that in that? Like, like again, like you said, you, she, he can erase the memory of their affair, but if she still works there, she's going to just remember him. Like, she's still going to be attracted to him. Like, the memory of their affair doesn't take away her attraction. Like, it was there before their affair, so it's going to be there after. So I don't know what he thought he was fixing. Right, and it's not like it's not like the affair happened years earlier. You know, if the, if the entire span of the film takes place over the course of the few days leading up to Valentine's Day of 2004. <laughs> I believe that her file at the end of the movie is uh, is dated, I think it's November 2003. So this is months pretty before. Fresh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think at the at one point, uh, like she asked Mark Ruffalo's character, um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Matt. Stan. Stan. Oh, Stan. Thank you. Thank you. Stan. Stan and Patrick. Thank you. Stan. She asked Stan if he knew about the affair, and he said, no, I suspected once. Um, but then it never happened again after that, so I thought it was a match. So it had to have been quick, you know? Like, it had to have been very recent um, for them, uh, which is so interesting. And he had to, I mean, like, that's that situation's weird because, like, it's almost like he, like, is cool with the situation that's going on with her and the doctor. Like, like it's like he knows and he sees it happening and he's just fine with it to a degree. Well, I think there is that moment of like, where like 
he sees her hitting on him on the dot on Howard and he's like, Oh, maybe I was right. Like maybe there was something going on here. You know what I mean? Like maybe my suspicions were, he already had a suspicion. So it's not like it's blindsiding him. Yeah. I think, I think that, um, and this, this might go into something else, but this speaks to the strength of, uh, the improv that the actors were allowed to do with each other, because there is the one point where Joel is asleep and, um, Mary and uh, Stan are, are um, either pre or post and they're just they're laying on either side of him. Oh, he's talking about the clash. They're smoking a joint. And he's talking about the clash, the yeah. only man that ever mattered. And she says, isn't that amazing? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, what Howard gives to the world. And he just kind of does this like defeated kind of sighing, like, okay, fine. Let's talk about Howard again. You know? Mm. So I, I think that um, in that context, I think that, uh, it's like he knew. It's like he knew that he was kind of like the young stand-in for Howard in the terms of like the context of their relationship. You know, obviously they were familiar, but uh, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you get a through that you get a sense of, and like you said with Stan's reaction, that this is probably a consistent thing in their relationship. That she, when she's with him, she's talking about Howard a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, like they've been together a while enough to be intimate with each other. Um, as at least it seems so like they've been together for a little bit um i bet this happens all the time because she's not hiding it whatsoever as soon as she gets to the apartment she's talking about howard you know and all the amazing stuff he is and how great he is and all that stuff so it's like i I guarantee this is not the first time that she's done that it's got to be something that happens for them all the time Um, but I think what's interesting in this film, talking about like attraction and maybe like a little bit more of like relationships is we don't see a really healthy relationship in this movie anywhere. Like not, well, not anybody. I think that's, in, I think that's intentional. Well, that's what I know. And I know. Yeah. I, like, yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. The nature of relationships, because, um, the, the one relationship that is intact through the entire film is the relationship of uh, Robin Carey. Now that's, um, oh crap, I'm a blank on his name now. Oh no! Uh, David, David, David Ross? Ross. David yeah. Ross, sorry. That was okay. dumb. I'm better with the actors' names than I am with the characters' names. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they are together through the entire film and it's just them bickering back and forth the entire time. Even going back to... Yeah his original memory at the end of the film when they're unloading things from the back of the car and he's just berating the shit out of her the entire time, you know? So nature of romance. So that, and that also connects with the beginning or if you, if you're looking at it chronologically in the beginning of the film, but the end of the relationship where they're having that sort of contention with each other, it's just that they've gone from, you know, they've decided to cut it, give it a clean break. Mm-hmm. Well, then Rob and Carrie who, who gutted out despite the, the flaws, you know? I, I think I think it's going to be really, I mean, clearly we're going to eventually have to talk about our own personal experiences, but with, with this movie in particular, I don't think your perspective, like you have to bring up your own personal experiences mm-hmm. to really like explain your perspective. And... Man, what what they capture so the the I think that the thing that this film captures like better than anything is the tone and the mood of failed relationships and depression revolving around them. Like from the begin, like the 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 fr- from the beginning when he's just like when he's so lonely, 
you know, and mm-hmm. he's just like getting on the you train, know, and he's just like getting on the train. Whoa! Wait, whoa. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Pause. Hold on. What's going? Have we figured it out? Yeah, I, lo- I lost your audio. Can you see? Oh, oh I can yeah. see. There are we, we are. Good? We're back. Are we back? Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Cool. <laughs> um, the just yeah. like the the lon- Jim Carrey's loneliness as he's like getting on the train going to Montauk, and he just like impulsively decides to go like. I've done that crap, you know, like you're just so sick of your life that you just have to change something. And, and it's like a trivial thing. And so you just decide that you're going to like get on a train one day, you know? Yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah. Dark, lonely, cold. It's crying in the car. Like when, when we see him cry in the car and he's just like pounding on the car, cars, uh, steering wheel, like just that, that tone stuff is so accurate. Like, Mm puts you in that the mood of of what it's like to be back there and mm-hmm. and especially i think i think new york in the winter time like i've lived in chicago and you know you're from milwaukee matt like there is something about that that long long winter that is just so brutal and it's just like oh i mean of course ricky you too i mean you've been in chicago like like there that sadness just sits there Mm. until the spring yeah. you know and I, th- I love that that's my favorite thing about this movie um something i wish we would have saw because uh, uh matt you make such a good point about robin robin carey and how they are the only from from end to end the only relationship that is that is intact the whole time and they don't seem like they have a very good relationship like they they're constantly fighting they're constantly arguing but you're right. They stay together. And I don't know if that's necessarily like what that's supposed to mean exactly, because we never see a moment to show why they're together, like to show what is keeping them together. They don't have kids, mm-hmm. at least not from what we see. Um, and they don't mention any kids. And so like, what is keeping them together? Like it would have been nice because this whole film is about, or it kind of has this idea of, if you can accept somebody for their their flaws, right? If you can know their flaws and get, you know, work with it and compromise and be vulnerable, you can maybe get through and and be together. So like I wish that would have been shown more in uh Stan, uh, sorry, in um Rob and Carrie's relationship was like they fight a lot and they have a lot of struggles in their relationship. But this is something we can see where they why they would stay together. Mm-hmm. Because they they love each other. So they move through and they work through some of those rough patches. Well, and I think I think that as the as the memory erasure process begins to proceed, there's a there's a very subtle switch to yes, I, you know, the, there's the one scene where they're walking and, and right as everything started to disappear, he's like, "Here, okay, it's going away, it's going away, it's over, it's over," you know. But then it moves on to the next one, and all of a sudden, he literally says, "Like." I just want to keep this one, you know, because like, and, and as the memories get older and older, they kind of get sweeter and sweeter, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but that's what you want to forget. That's the part that you want to forget, you know? Uh, and it's the part of heartbreak that you just, you amplify the bad parts and sort of subdue the good parts, you know? Well, isn't like normal, like human thinking to point out the negative? 
Tough you know, enough. like if you have a if you have a list of ten positive things and there's one negative thing, you're going to see the negative thing, right? Well, yeah. well and, if, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, the the impulsive or um, the impulsive nature of electing to have the procedure, you know, the recency bias of the participant in the relationship would indicate that they're only remembering the bad parts and sort of throwing away all the good parts. Right. They're not getting through the pain and grief to like. You know, when you lose like a loved one, someone passes away, it's it hurts so bad. And and so you just wish you could stop feeling that way. But eventually that pain diminishes and you remember all the lovely things about that person, you know, and and that's what you're left with, honestly, most of the time. I mean, sure, you remember some of like the stuff that wasn't so great, but those aren't the things that stand out most of the time. At, at least if you had good in that relationship, not all I guess a caveat here is not all relationships are good, you know, like to be fair to some people out there, there are, maybe there are some negative relationships that were exclusively negative and painful um, and traumatizing that maybe you might want to forget. Like I can understand that, but that's not what's depicted in this film. Right. This film is about people who have lost things that they love, dogs, family members, well, significant others. It's both. Like it's, it, we're back to like, so a recurring theme in like these podcasts that we've done is like, inevitably you got to talk about duality, you know, and, and relationships are both they're, they're, they're as good as they are bad. And we just never think about, we never think about having to deal with the bad, you know? And I mean, it's, you, you get into a relationship and you're in that honeymoon period. And then after that, you start seeing this person for who they really are. And you stop and you stop, you stop pretending to be what you're not. And what's revealed is two flawed, broken people who have to like deal with the other person's flaws and mm. problems. And it's you, and if you haven't figured out how to deal with your own problems, mm-hmm. it's going to be really freaking hard to deal with somebody else's problems. Mm-hmm. And I know? think that's so highlighted with Joel because like Joel's depicted as – or at least he thinks himself to be very stable, you know, very level-headed. But the thing about Joel is he's super repressed, mm-hmm. right? Like Joel has feelings about stuff and he'll immediately back away with them and just like – like for example, like we talk about – uh, when they're on that train in the where, one of the very first scenes where she talks about how she's a, a, a vindictive little bitch. And he's like, oh, I wouldn't think that about you. She goes, why wouldn't you think that about me? And he, instead of saying what his impression of her is, why he's creating this like idea of her, he just says, oh, I, I don't, I don't know. Like he just like backs away. Yeah, he I, does thought, that. I, thought be, I thought I'd be nice. Yeah, I thought it'd be nice. Yeah. And, and she gets on him about this is like, you're like, you're not being nice. You're just choosing not to say what you're actually feeling. So like truthfully, internally, you're not nice. You're just afraid. You're repressing it. And he does this. And as their relationship gets a little bit like nastier and nastier and degrades a little bit, like there's a moment where uh, he he says, uh, says like talking isn't having a conversation or uh, talking isn't being vulnerable, right? You're just talking. And she gets really upset with him and he just tries to just tune her out and he tries to back away from it. And he does the same thing when she asks – she says, I want to have a baby. And he says, do you think you could take care of a kid? 
And she goes, what do you mean? And then immediately he backs away again. Yeah. It's like you have something to say and yeah. you're refusing to be vulnerable enough to say it. And she – it upsets her. And yeah, honestly, I mean, it's, a lot of it's his problem. Yeah. And, and I, I did read a scholarly article, perhaps like an overly pathologizing type of uh, article, but um, – saying that Joel has avoided personality disorder while Clementine has a borderline personality disorder and they do complete each other. You know, one of the most commonly repeated lines that Joel says throughout the movie is, I don't want to discuss this right now. He says it in the, in the scene in the woods where he opens his eyes and, and becomes, you know, awake in, in real life. But, uh, you know, she says, well, isn't this just another one of Joel's self-fulfilling prophecies? He says, I want to talk about this right now. Same thing at the flea market. You know, I want to talk about this right now. And she, and then she's like, why are you mumbling? I can never the fuck understand what you're saying. Like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Um, and, and kind of bleeding over into more of the discussion. Like, I can certainly identify with that 100%. There are times where, like, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to make waves where I'm just like, hey, man, I want to talk about this right now. You know. Oh man, I am you're such. A, a, oh, go you ahead. Avoid, you think you're having an avoidant personality, man? <laughs> in, the context, in the context of uh, of a relationship, absolutely. Maybe. <laughs> Seth, okay. would you would you say I have an avoidant personality? Uh, you're avoidant about some things, but I would say no. I, I don't think really. You have avoidant personality. I think most people would say I avoid conflict. Like, sure, I antagonize a little bit, but like real conflict. Like actual yeah. conflict, not, not frivolous, like just like people like just like having a discussion about something that doesn't matter. Actual conflict. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am so such a people pleaser in that way of like, I'll just be like, mm-hmm, yeah, whatever. Yep. You, whatever. I'll do what you want <laughs> in that way. Don't rock the boat. I think, well, I think we're going to be three men in their fields here in a couple minutes. Cause there's just no. Like we're we're all kind of avoiding like the meat of this whole mm -hmm. thing, you know. And it's like uh, I have, and I'll just let's just do it. I'm just gonna dig in. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, me, I've had, I've had, I think now four or five serious relationships, and um, and they are so defining as to who I am as a human being. And um, when I say serious relationships, I mean like over a year, two years. Um, I'm in my longest one currently, um, which is almost five years. Um, but like I, I've been a bit of a serial monogamist in my past and uh, and it's weird how your brain works because like your brain kind of naturally does what happens in this movie, you know, mm -hmm. like your brain naturally blocks out the things that happen to you, but those things are like instilled into your subconscious and they really, really define who you are and who you, who you are with, you know? And, uh, for me, those relationships, the trauma that's like been instilled in me is like, I have, I ended all of them. Right. And so like, I have this, like, I have this like fear 
uh, and maybe it's not even a fear. Maybe it's like a knowledge. I don't know. Like that all relationships are going to get to a certain point and then they, they are the same relationship. And it's like, it's actually your relationship with yourself that you're able to have another relationship. And, uh, so like the, the hard part is, is going, okay, is that, is that true? Or is there someone that is more compatible for me? Right. And like, not only that, but like, we're attracted to things that we have, like that we're familiar with, but aren't not, not necessarily good for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we keep getting in these same patterns of being with someone or, or doing, or, 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 or choosing a relationship that actually isn't helping us grow as a person. It's actually causing us to cycle into our continued habits. Mm -hmm. And that's just a regurgitation of everything I'm thinking right now. Um, I'm so load all that up. <laughs> no, let me ask you then, Seth. Uh, I mean, if we're going to go to like the, with the question that, that Matt was going with, would you erase any of that? I, I mean, if I you think can, I if have. you, I say if you, but if if well, I mean, you still remember the person though. Yeah, but but I don't remember things. Like it's weird. Like, mm -hmm. um, I remember some things, you know, but like, it's weird what your brain decides to keep. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I do you know how much time I've spent with like people like that? No, like I had. Well, I mean, I just mean 33 like, years. No, <laughs> I mean, so like I had serious relationships like with women that I thought I was going to marry. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then my brain is like Swiss cheese when it comes to that relationship, because it's like naturally doing what's happening in this film. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, like. But I remember, I think some of the things that have stuck with me have guided my other choices, you know, like I'm not going to, I probably would never date a woman who is going through a divorce again, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, that's just, that is probably a good idea, uh, you know, so like, I, like, I do think you learn from your mistakes, mm -hmm. but, um, but there are like major ones that this movie gets at. Like, especially when it comes to like subconscious and like your childhood that are just like this emotional core of what you're attracted to um, that keep showing up. And it's like you have to keep digging and figuring out why you're making this mistake over and over and over and over again. Hmm. Anybody have any mistakes they'd like to share? <laughs> uh, I've never made a mistake as a person. Never, <laughs> as a person who's never made a mistake. Um, I can't relate. No. Um, okay. yeah, I mean, to give you a little context on the background that I have with this movie, cause I actually have a really interesting history with this movie. Um, saw it in the theater, um, which is increasingly sounding like an old timey sentence. I saw this in the theater. <laughs> What's a theater? <laughs> What's a theater? Two... <laughs> Two newsreels and a popcorn for 55 cents now. Oh, my God. <laughs> 55 cents? Uh, no, That's no. insane. No, I saw, I saw this movie with my ex-wife, Scandal. Uh, I saw this movie mm. with my ex-wife, um, and uh, she did not care for the movie. She just kind of was like, I don't get it, um, which is fine. And then the movie, probably within six to eight months, was released on – Home video, I obviously bought the DVD. Um, 
and uh, watched it frequently, was obsessed with it, and this and that and the other thing. And then uh, about two years later, she left. And uh, when she left, she cleared, kind of cleared out the entire house. And um, I had a pretty extensive uh, Blu-ray and DVD collection at the time. Nothing like insane, probably 500 movies that I had uh, on physical copies of. And this movie was one... This this movie was one of the things that she took, which I thought was weird. I thought kind of perceived it as like a direct, like, "Hey, fuck you, man." Um, and then funny story, I was remember like bitching about it, and this was right before Christmas of two thousand and six. Um, I remember bitching about it to to one of my do- very dear friends, and him just being like, "Yeah, that's shitty, man. She's a bitch, like whatever." And uh, a couple days later. This is like before cell phones are like really prevalent. I mean, they obviously existed at the time, but I'm driving up Kinnikinnick Parkway and that friend that I was bitching to was driving in the other direction like a couple days before Christmas and he flashed his lights at me to like stop and turn around. So I stopped and turned around and he throws a copy of this movie into my car and says, here, I got this for you. Merry Christmas, which I thought was very sweet gesture. He's very, very sweet because there's nothing tastier than this movie when you're going through a divorce. I mean, my goodness. Uh, but at the end of the day, if I'm being real honest, man, I one way in which I really identify with the character of Joel Barish is let's not <coughs> Oh, hold on. Seth, did you lose him? Yeah, now we lost you for a second. Sorry, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, can you okay. go back like 15 seconds for what you were saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was going to say, let's not forget in the origin story that Joel at the beginning was already, and at the time that he met Clementine, he was in a relationship with a woman named <coughs> And you never meet the character Naomi in the movie, but she does come up several times where he says, you know, maybe I should get back to with Naomi. She was nice. And, you know, at the time that they're running into the house for the first time on Montauk Beach, you know, he says, I live with this woman. I can identify with that. And this is actually the first time I'm ever going to say this like publicly. But uh, during the time that I was married, I was in love with another woman. And uh, it went all it went completely unrequited. But. I know what it feels like in the context of a relationship to have one foot out the door, thinking that something else better is going to come along to complete me or save me or give me what I really want. Um, yeah. So I, I, I have seen the movie from a different perspective every time. And actually this last time that I watched it, which was last night into today was the first time I watched it with a critical eye instead of an emotional eye. Um, the movie makes me cry almost every single time that I watch it, uh, particularly at the parts in the, um, in the bookstore when she, you know, when, when they kind of, when, when he steps back from the actual memory and progress and starts describing it as a lucid dreamer and says, you know, I remember that speech so well, that one always made me choke up. And then just a couple of minutes later, um, you know, when they're, when they're reliving the first memory and they're sitting on the boardwalk and she says, this is it, Joel, it's all going to be gone soon. And she says, what do we do? And he says, enjoy it. Like that for me is that's, like that. That's the moment. Like, that, that's, that, that's just like the heart wrenching, you know, uh, part of it. 
Uh, and I, but I think that she was right. She had him pegged from the jump that he was going to think that she was a concept, that she was going to complete him, you know, and she told him from the outset, you know, I'm a fucked up girl just looking for my own peace of mind, you know. Um, for me, being somebody who was like raised, basically raised by television, you know, you're always expecting closure and um, things to get kind of put together and, and with a little bow and this and that. And, and through life experiences, I've discovered that life, in fact, is messy and the pain is part of it. You know, if, if you are doing things to avoid that pain, you're going to end up in a world of pain. Mm -hmm. Matt, yeah. thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thank um, you. Um, for me, I mean, absolutely. I, I have not had, I would say, any significant uh, relationships in my life to this point, um, or at least like not super like lengthy uh, relationships. Um, but something that I really, where I really connected with Joel, he has one line kind of right in the beginning of the movie, and it's something that really hits me. Um, is he says. Um, if I can have the quote here, why do I fall in love with every woman I see who shows me the least bit of attention? Uh, and for me, I, I probably have that problem where I am a little bit of an over romanticizer. Um, you know, Matt, you talked a little bit about an unrequited love. I definitely have felt that very many times in my life where I felt very strongly for a person. Um, and it just, you know, it wasn't, not that that person like was didn't like like me as a person or anything like but that but like the the that kind of romantic love was not reciprocated um and it's definitely brought me a, a whole lot of like pain and a whole lot of disappointment um uh i went to i had a, a, a someone i went to prom with um who is a friend of mine growing up and she went to a different school high school than me uh but i went out on a limb and asked her to my prom and she said yes um, and I was like, had a huge crush on this girl, huge, like enormous. And I was like, okay, she said yes to prom with me. Like, this is my chance to like, really go for it. Right. Like really take my chance to really put myself out there. So I, uh, my uncle works at Morton's Steakhouse in St. Louis. So, uh, I got us, uh, I, I got us some private reservations there. We, we drove there. Uh, they give us a private booth in the back. They give us personalized menus with our names on them. Uh, we uh, got our picture taken and put up on the wall with like all like the celebrities. Um, and at the end of the meal, when and like we ate anything we wanted, like we got everything. Um, at the end of the meal, the the uh, server comes over and goes, "It's been taken care of." And like, I felt like such a baller. Like I'm not kidding. I felt so. I was like, "This is going great." Um, <laughs> um, so we get to prom and things are going, well, we're having a good time. Uh, at one point she disappears during the prom and I don't see her for a while. Um, but she makes it back for like the last dance. Right. And I'm like, the last dance is where I'm going to make my move. The last dance is where I'm going to do it. So during the last dance, I kiss her on the cheek. Right. Um, and that immediately wrecks the night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, she got visibly uncomfortable, which is fine. Uh, and we went and talked afterwards. Um, and, uh, you know, she's like, Hey, like, I just am not into that with you. I'm like, that's okay. That's okay. Come to find out though. She, that she was 
interested in somebody at that prom, just not me. Because not too long later, she ended up dating one of my other friends. Oof. Yeah. Brutal. So that was – and now I think it's like my first like actual heartbreak in my life like where I felt horrible. And then I had to see her all the time because she was hanging out with a buddy of mine a lot. Um, and I worked with her too. That was the only problem I had. We worked together. But well, my big – Oh, go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead. Finish, finish it. My I, biggest I, one, I, though, is my relationship in college. Um, I had a a not a very long relationship, but like a four or five month relationship uh, with somebody in my uh, theater department. I was a undergrad; she was a grad student, um, which isn't against the rules necessarily, but it's definitely not like you know, it's a little bit frowned upon, but it's not against the rules. I was graduating in you know, however many months and she, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but I was very much into this relationship. Like I could saw like a future with this, with this woman. Um, she was about six years older than I was, which was like a problem for her. Um, that we were had such an age difference and, but I ignored that. I didn't think it was a problem. My fam, my parents are 10 years apart. They, they've been married for 30 plus almost 35 years. Um, and that relationship ended when I moved to Chicago, but it was it ended in a very messy way, just super duper messy, um, and like was super unresolved. Because like, ha- had I not moved, would we have stayed together? You know, because things were good, and but I moved, and we just didn't want to do wrong, long, you know, long distance. Um, but it was it felt unresolved in a lot of different ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, I f- and I definitely felt where Joel was during that time when I moved to Chicago, those first, um, um, like weeks living there. Oh my God. I was so, I was in like probably the most depressed state I'd ever been in. Like I was in a very dark place in the first couple weeks I was in Chicago. Um, because I just felt alone, you know, I, I felt this loss, uh, and I was in a place where I didn't really know anybody too well. It was, it was a rough time for sure. So I definitely connect with this film so much, but looking back, like you said, Seth, like naturally your brain maybe doesn't forget the bad stuff. Cause you remember there was bad stuff and like there are fights and things like that. Um, but like the, for me, the, the relationship itself, I look back on with, that I'm happy I had had it like I, that I, I needed it, whatever, it, whatever it was, even though it was messy and, and hard and painful, I needed it. I needed it like to be where I'm at now. I needed to have it. And if I would for, to forget it, what would that do for me? You, you wouldn't have learned. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I think it would do me to make the same mistake again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we still, we still make a lot of the same mistakes, just maybe slight. It's incremental growth. It's not, it's not, something that happened, you know, you just flip the switch and you figure it out. You know, like I made, I've made the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over, you know, mm-hmm. slow learner. Um, <laughs> but like, um, I, I kind of like bouncing off both of you, like, um, so when you're talking about like, uh, the last moment of the movie almost, or not the, it's not the last, like, what are we going to do? We're going to, we're going to enjoy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that, that moment really uh, hits me because like, 
ending a relationship is like a death, you know, like it is, it is a chosen death because a part of you is going to die, you know, and, um, I might get, I might get emotional here uh, and I apologize, but it's like, it's, it's your choosing to let a part of you die in hopes that you will grow. Um, but you can't grow until you let that part of you die. And, um, I had, so this is a kind of a, a unique example, um, of something that I experienced in the, in the past couple of years. Um, so I had a, uh, a therapist who was a good friend. Um, and we were something for each other that we did not know that we were going to be. Um, so I had never had a relationship. I, I didn't know this. I had never had an, a relationship with a woman that I was physically, I could be attracted to, but chose not to like be aware of, like I was aware of the feelings or the, aware of the potential for the feelings but I chose to have a platonic relationship with this person. Does that make sense? And, um, and it was kind of the inverse for her. Like she had never had a relationship with a man that could potentially be attracted to her and felt safe. And so like what created was a very healthy relationship of, um, mutual respect. Um, one that was open, and platonic, like purely platonic. And, um, there was there, like, we loved each other, but in a platonic way, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, and we never crossed each other's boundaries in an unhealthy way. Um, which, which is like a big deal for me because like growing up, if I had feelings that were, um, of this nature, I would have acted on them. You know what I mean? I would have, I have, I have stories of like, uh, I have stories of me like going balls to the wall, doing ridiculous romantic, grand romantic ro gestures, ro grand romantic gestures. Been there, man. You know, like doing things that just like, I just ate shit essentially afterwards. And, mm -hmm. um, and this created a, a safe place for me to like be around somebody that I, I could check those feelings and be like, this, I'm not, I, I, those aren't those, these feelings are not what that is. These feelings are just like our, our romanticism. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then I, I can have a real relationship with a human being and and so, okay, that all that being said, uh, that relationship had to end um, due to like legal stuff, like with uh, out of state therapy, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, one in, in like our last session, I said, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and it hasn't really hit me. Um, this this ending, it, it hadn't really hit me um, until like right now. But what I'm what I'm taking away from this that I get to keep and that's mine, right. Is the pain. Like, like that's mine forever. The fact like this, the feeling of this loss, like even though this relationship has to end, even though 
that it was created through a medical environment that was very structured and it can be no more. I get to take this pain and, and, and cherish it essentially that I was able to do like the pain is the reminder that I was able to have this relationship successfully and healthily. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And right. So well, it's like, you don't know it means something unless it hurts yeah. when you lose it. Yeah. Right. If yeah. it doesn't hurt when it's gone, did it, did it mean anything to you? Yeah. And I just use that example because it's like, it's one that, <laughs> that it's, it's tangible and it's, It, it, it was a very, I guess it was, like I said, it was a very structured situation. So it was like, I had to have that structure to learn from it. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that, you know, mm-hmm. and um, because like, I have made that mistake so many times, like, dude, I, yeah, there's like, there's a whole like therapy chest of me, like, you know, I mean, Ricky was with me in Chicago when I was in love with someone. And it like for five years, I was basically driven to heavy drinking and just like wallowing. And because like I thought love was not real because this was unrequited. And it's just, I guess now that I'm older, I'm seeing, okay, love is not that. You know, love is something different that looks a lot more, uh, nuanced and, um, and it's a choice as much as it is a feeling, I think. And I've just talked a lot. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, thank you, man. This is what the show is all about, my man. Um, uh, Matt, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Yeah. I mean, piggybacking off of what you just said, I mean, it's not linear, man. Like it's not, Good relationships are always messy and they have their ugly points and they, and they have their idiosyncrasies, you know, but um, I, I definitely bend towards the love is real. You know, it's just not what we've been sold. If that makes Mm. sense. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's love. Love doesn't exist without pain. Right. You can't, like it, like we say, it only works if you're deeply invested, and like it's impossible not to get hurt in those right. circumstances. And well, and I mean, if we're if we were to delve a little bit more philosophically into it, I mean, from a from a Buddhist perspective, what we're seeing is is the suffering happens from the time we're born until the time we die. We're just in a process of dying at all times. I think that what love is to me is you grabbing another fragment of the universe and bringing it close to you and you get both will experience the suffering together. It sounds mm-hmm. a little vacant to say it out loud, but that I, I, I think it's demonstrably true. You know, I, I don't, um, <clears throat> I don't think that, um, you know, like I said, being kind of raised by television and movies, you get kind of a skewed perspective on what things look like, you know, mm. in, in real life, we don't travel from well-lit situation to well-lit situation saying the perfect thing at the right time. And, you know, and, and again, with this film sort of touching on the theme of regret, that's something that can really stall a person out, 
you know, and I, I say that as a person in recovery that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's important to acknowledge and move on, you know, if there's, if there's ever going to be any kind of growth at all. And, and I think that's uh, something we, we kind of all touched on about like this, like learning process, right? That the pain and loss and love is all about grow, growth, right? You grow through those things. And if you erase those things, you may not be able to grow. You'll, you, you'll, you'll repeat your cycles. Right. And the, um, the, the decision to, to have the procedure done is motivated in different ways by both people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, she did it on a lark, her words, or uh, mm-hmm. Joel and your, uh, come on, Robin Carey's words to yeah. be specific. I think he did it because he has that avoided. He wanted to avoid the pain of the breakup. You know, he, yes, definitely some anger because he definitely barges into the office and says, I want to get this done, you know, but more than anything to get rid of that pain rather than work through it. Mm. Exactly. So working through pain is hard. Like that's hard work and it's not, and it sucks. Like it sucks working through your pain and you're like, it's the worst thing, but like you people who do make it through almost universally are thankful that they did. Mm-hmm. Right. I, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I can say I like who I am way better on this side. Of things. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the movie, what makes this, and so I think some people would be like, well, they, they end up together again or they go for each other again. It's not like the negative thing of repeating cycles. And I would say maybe, but the thing that makes it different is that they have these tapes from before. Mm-hmm. The tapes where they're both saying horrible things about each other. But if you listen to like some of what Joel's tape is, you don't we don't get to hear as much of uh of Clementine's tape. But what we hear of Joel's tape, there are some really nasty things in there. But throughout there, every so often he'll say something that he loves about her, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, "I love this, but at the same time that makes me so upset." Or I, or I, and she does this and I, I can't stand it. But then there's also this thing about her and having those tapes, even though they don't, they don't remember the relationship. They don't remember the pain and the, the anger. Strangely enough, having the tapes allows them to, will allow them to almost have that experience to grow. So, so. Or at least let them make the choice. Well, right. So like now they, they. Where they originally they would experience that with each other and hopefully be able to get through it. Now they don't have the baggage, the emotional baggage that took this relationship down. That's gone. They've forgotten that. They're not. Their heart isn't heavy with that. But they have almost like an outsider's perspective of each other that and can I, help. I, that can I, help I, them I, avoid those pitfalls. Yeah, and I, hopefully I, grow, I read grow and point, accept each uh, other. Something that said that they thought the person who wrote the article said that they thought that Joel would be going through this with a much clearer perspective because he had become lucid during the process and he would remember some of this thing. I don't, well, yeah, it, I don't think well, the I, evidence really bears that out because he is literally, he literally has no recollection at the time that he wakes up. But I will say there's a little bit of subconsciousness going on. Cause during the, in the beginning of the movie in the actual beginning of the movie, where he goes to Montauk, um, he goes to Montauk. He's like, he's like, I don't know why I did that. One of the la- the last thing that Clementine says to him in his memories, or his fiction, you know, his fictional memory, is meet me in Montauk. Subconsciously, that made its way in there somehow because he just went. Not even he's like, I don't even know why. I just- you can also when when he's walking 
when he's walking up to the house by himself in that opening sequence, you do hear, you can vaguely hear her, yeah. her voice in the background saying, I, I think she says we're David and Ruth Laskin. Yes. Which is the name of the male. You can kind of vaguely hear that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, subconsciously is because he became so lucid during that process. And, and we don't know if everybody becomes that lucid during the process or if he somehow is special in that way. Um, some, it seems like something subconsciously made its way in there. Yeah. And maybe, and it, it might actually like the way that, that Clementine is like behaving a little bit erratically with, with Patrick, Elijah Wood's character may suggest that she also subconsciously has memories of stuff. Cause when he, says the same line to her that Joel said to her that first time out on Charles River, she freaks out. Yeah. Why does she freak out? She sits bold upright because she recognizes what he just said. Right. Something in her brain is like, I know that, but it's not you that's, that I know it from. So maybe subconsciously there is something there where they can be a little bit more aware of it. I don't know. It's I, it, that's what leaves me more hopeful is the fact that they know that they've already failed once, but they have these tapes to remind them of. I got really upset about this, and maybe this is something I can we can work on together as far as like me being able to to process that better. Be, you mm-hmm. know, I, it leaves me more hopeful because they know this. They have this resource, and they choose to give it a try again. Mm-hmm. There's two things. It is what a therapist does, right? Like if you're in relationship therapy, they are that objective point of view, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you can work through this stuff. But if I'm honest about my perspective on the end of this film and their relationship, like I think they're choosing to go through with the relationship because they need to have gone through the relationship, but that does not mean they end up together. And that does not mean that it's not love. Right. I do think they love each other, but I don't think they will work out in the end. Not all meaningful relationships need to be happily ever after. Yeah. You know? They both need to have had the, this relationship. Mm-hmm. But uh, to just kind of like put a bow on this conversation real quick uh, and to kind of maybe mess with our views of this movie just a smidge. So the ending that we see in the final film is not the original ending that was written. The original ending that was written takes place 50 years in the future. Clementine comes back to Lacuna to get Joel erased again. And we see on the computer that she's had Joel erased 15 different times <laughs> throughout her life. Right. I think that would have been a, a much more being John Malkovich type of ending. Yeah. It would have been a much more cynical ending for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I almost think it just like drives home what we're saying though. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like, you're never going to get past that relationship if you don't go through it. Right. She, she, yeah, right. If, it, if her and Joel aren't meant to be together, her forgetting him is not going to help her. It can only cause her to fall back in, fall back in. Yeah. You know, yeah. but, but at least in this version, she has something that can help her, a resource. There's some, one more thing I'd like to like say before we're, I guess, wrapping up, but mm-hmm. like, I guess, you know, me and Matt are coming from a, a, a more of a past of like failed, like in pain, failure, that's, you know. That's fair. Uh, I, well, I know Ricky, but this is what I'm trying to say is this is so like something in this movie, like, cause I, like I, I've been in both places and um, so I, I, the metaphor with the ice. I was going to bring that up too. Go ahead. 
And like, I think this is, I think if anything, I think this is great for someone who is afraid of love, right. Of mm -hmm. afraid of, um, feeling those painful things. Um, the happiest he is, is whenever like that, those are the moments that he's most happy. He says, I'm happy. I don't think I've ever felt this before. And he's like laying down on the ice. That's dangerous AF. Like yeah. going out there is dangerous AF, but like you won't like the ice might break. And honestly, the ice will probably break, but like at least you got to go out on the ice. Mm -hmm. And and then here's like my little like with it is and walking on ice is the only way man will ever walk on water you know oh wow that's really good i had something a little bit, a little bit like that too where i kind of i also saw the ice as this great metaphor where i said uh going out on the ice is scary dangerous and maybe even a little bit slippery you're afraid it might crack or break causing you to drown and yeah sometimes you'll fall on your ass uh but if you trust and have faith and the timing is right, it will hold up. Well, let's just put, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be divine. There you go. Something that just clicked into place for me too, is when she goes kind of jetting out onto the ice and she's like, come on. And he's just like, it's going to break. She goes, it's not going to break. She says, do you even really care right now? Mm -hmm. And you know, they get out there and that's the point where he says, I could die right now, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, shit. Yeah, those those scenes on the Charles River is, are, I think, encapsulate this movie so well in like its metaphor of what a relationship is. Right? It mm -hmm. it is dangerous to enter in. It's scary to enter into a relationship, and it might break. You know, like it very well could, but it might not. <laughs> you know, T right time of year, right right place, right time. It, maybe mm -hmm. it'll hold. Which I think is a great kind of place to wrap up this conversation, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for being on our show with us and sharing and being you know vulnerable and sharing about yourself. Uh, thank you for bringing this movie to us as well. Thank you. So we really it means a lot that you have done this for us. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. And, and we we hope to have you on again if you would love to be on. We would love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, the 1994 Michael Mann film Heat. Let's go from there. Okay. <laughs> never, All right. I've never seen it. We'll, oh my God, we'll put fact. that. <laughs> we'll put that on a, on our, our on our calendar. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of speaking of, what is uh, have we made a decision about the next? It's your, it's your turn. No, is it? Yeah, because I picked the Dark Knight and and Matt picked Eternal Sunshine. It's your turn, buddy. Oh man, I, I like off the cuff like this. Well, I thought you had one ready to go. Don't you remember a couple oh, no. weeks ago? This is not good. <laughs> Do you, uh, do you want me to remember me. for you? Did you forget? Uh, you know what? I'm going to cop out here and pick an easy one for because I just want to watch this movie. Okay. Um, we're going to go with The Lord of the Rings, The okay. Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. <laughs> All right. Not Sunset Boulevard? <laughs> Not Sunset Boulevard, no. People, are, people want it after our Hollywood Boulevard debacle. That's true. People, That's the, true. The audience wants it. Matt, you had something to say. Oh, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. Okay. Yeah, the only, the only things I didn't get in were my, my feelings on Jim Carrey and uh, 
how the score for this movie got uh, got uh, John Bryan working with Kanye West, which is hysterical. Oh wow! Hell yeah! <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh! There's so many. I mean, this movie is phenomenal in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, we could talk about this movie for forever. Yeah. But for I sure. feel like we found we found such a nice kind of like resting place. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, for everybody watching along at home and listening along, we are going to be uh, watching The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring for our next episode. It's a change of pace. Change yeah. of pace for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So please uh, join us. Uh, and again, once again, Matt, thank you so much. We we cannot wait to have you on again to watch The Heat in the future. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Uh, have a great uh, day. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Awesome. Adios. Bye.